Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone this morning? Everyone's having a good summer so far? Yeah? It's been nice and hot. Um, well, cool. I've got a, a long sermon, so get ready. I don't get to preach that often, so I have to make it really count when I do. It's not going to be very deep. It's going to be a lot of fluff, but it's going to be really long, so get ready. Uh, <laughs> now, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning, so I'll let you guys turn there real quick. Or it, I know I talked about this the last time I preached, like a year ago, but does anybody still actually use their paper Bible? Like When I say turn to Romans 8, does anybody actually turning or are they going to the U version and pushing the book title and then the chapter number are you pushing to chapter 8 um, we're going we're gonna to be in Romans chapter 8 so while you guys find out I am going to take a second to address the elephant in the room no I am not wearing socks so I know you guys were all wondering that this morning so I thought I'd just put that out of, the, out of your mind early on and on I am however wearing Chewbacca shoes. So if I get loud and start growling, it's because Chewbacca is my spirit animal. So um, that's that's what's going on there. But no, and I, I, I've already been asked a few times about this. Um, I'm trying something different, but now this is a result of someone at work trying to force me to wear a face mask. And needless to say, I lost the fight. So. Um, face mask it is. No, I might. I was hauling hay, might have had a little bit of low blood sugar, along with being super exhausted because it was like a million degrees and passed out on the barn floor. So, um, but the good news is my head, which is ample, my forehead uh, broke the fall. So everything's good. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Just a little Corona cough for you. Um, so yeah, we're in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 8 to, or sorry, 28 to 30. Um, and I'm, I'll have slides up here for, for your scripture for those that didn't bring their Bible. And if you didn't bring your Bible, I would like everyone to stop right now and pray for your enemies who did not bring their Bible this morning, because the Bible says it's the same as heaping hot coals on their heads. So, and as I've said many times, so if you didn't bring your Bible, you are in fact our enemy right now. No, tease, tease. Um, that's why we put it up here, so you don't have to bring your Bible, right? You just have to trust that what I put up there is actually what's in the Bible. Um, all right, so let's jump in. Uh, like I said, we got, we got a lot to get to this morning, and so we're just going to jump right in. I don't have any funny stories. All my funny stories probably aren't good for leading into this sermon, so, um, so we'll just jump right in. So um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And he... Sorry, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Verse 30, in uh, those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So... As you can tell by our passage, um, you can probably figure out what we're talking about. We are going to conquer predestination this morning. <laughs> You're right. Uh, I'm not even going to touch predestination. We're just going to pretend that part's not in there because I am not smart enough to conquer predestination. Um, all I could do is tell you what I think, and that's not the point of the sermon this morning. Anyway, so, aren't you glad you came this morning? Predestination it is. No, we're actually going to be looking at a, 
part of this, and I think it's overlooked a lot because we hit the, uh, and he predestined, uh, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, and I think we hit that and just skip right to everything like, predestined, what the heck does that mean? And he foreknew, what does that mean? And we skip all the good stuff in between. So, and I am guilty of that myself. I read this, and I'm like, oh, predestination, skip down a couple of verses and keep going, right? And, and so um, we're actually going to talk about that part that a lot of us tend to skip over, I think. Um, and I think it might be the most important part of this passage, um, this, these couple of verses. Um, I think, though... Um, that it might be something we say or that we try to be or do, um, but do we ever really stop to think about it? And that's that phrase, conformed to the image of his son. Um, I was listening to a podcast, surprise, surprise, um, for those that haven't heard me preach before, I, I'm always listening to podcasts. Although, since I started a new job, I can't listen to podcasts like I used to, so um, I'm really hurting in my new job, but um, it's a good job, so I'll, I love it, but I can't listen to all my podcasts. But anyways, uh, the podcast is called The Bible Project, and I've talked about that to several of you guys before, and I cannot recommend that podcast enough. It has helped me grow tremendously in my understanding of God's Word, probably more than any other source I've ever used. Um, and they have, they have a YouTube channel, which is amazing. I highly recommend that. Go to their YouTube channel. They have a video for every book of the Bible, kind of explaining what the overall theme or what the author is trying to get at for every book of the Bible. Then they have themes that kind of run throughout the Bible, generosity and things like that. Um, they have videos for all those things. It's amazing. Um, so please look that up. Um, it, it will it will deepen your knowledge of God's Word. Um, so there, that's my ad for that this morning. But anyways, I was listening to this episode, and they were interviewing an author. Uh, her name's Haley Gorenson Jacob. Anybody familiar? Probably not. I'd never heard of her until that episode that I was listening to. But she, um, she's written a book called, this is the title of the book, to let you know. Uh, it's called Conformed to the Image of His Son, Reconsidering Paul's Theology of Glory in Romans. That's just the title. What happened to, like, Glory in Rome. Like, why can't we shorten that? Um, so that tells you it's probably not on most people's bookshelves. I bought this book and started reading it. Turns out most of it's way over my head. And the good thing is a lot of the stuff's in Greek with no translation. So I just come to those words and just blah, 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 and skip to the English part. So, um, but, so I was listening to her talk about her book, which was a lot more helpful to me than reading the book. Although the book has been good, the parts I can understand, but she's written this book. And so anyways, while I was listening to this podcast, it just began to occur to me that I never really thought about it. What, what does that actually mean to be conformed to the image of Christ? And like I said, that's something we all say a lot, like, oh, just try and lead a Christ-like life. I'm trying to do everything I can to be more Christ-like. It's like, oh, day to day. But do we ever actually stop and think about what it means to be Christ-like or conformed to the image of Christ? Right. So here's the deal, though, in this scripture. It doesn't actually say, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be Christ-like. It says, conformed to the image of his Son. So that's a little bit different way of wording that. Why not just say Christ-like? That'd be say, Paul could have saved himself a lot of ink there. Um, he could have just put Christ-like, and we would all be like, "Oh yeah, that's good." But no, he wrote conformed 
to the image of his son. Why does he word it that way? Do, do we ever stop to think? So, like, for me, that's one of the biggest helps when listening to this podcast is asking, why is it worded like this? Like, when we read the Bible, do you, does anybody ever stop to think, like, why does it say it this way? Or do we just read it and go on, like, yeah, okay, conform to the image of the son. That means Christ-like. Well, no, if he meant specifically Christ-like, he probably could have just put Christ-like. Paul's a fairly educated man. He could have put that. But I think it kind of goes back to Paul's understanding of who Jesus was and is. So you'll have to bear with me this morning. The good news is I'm not going to do a lot of sharing my own opinions because I'm pretty dumb. Uh, I mean, look at this. I work in damage prevention at City Utilities, and I did this. Like, hello. Uh, I, can't, I went to work. I took the next day off to nurse my concussion, but I went to work Friday. I was like, uh, we need a picture of this to go on all our flyers for damage prevention. Um, I, I've also been told that this will be a good start to my Halloween costume, and I can come as Mikhail Gorbachev. Anyone? Are there, are there double-digit numbers of people who know who that is in here? Probably not. Um, so I think it will look good because I scar, so this will leave a nice like bright red-purple scar right here. So I just got to work on my accent. Um, but no, I'm going to use a lot of scripture this morning. Because like I said, I'm dumb. Uh, my opinion is just that. My opinion is not worth a whole lot. Again, um, my spirit animal is Chewbacca. Um, so I'm going to use a lot of scripture because I don't know the answers, but God's word does. God's word is the truth for everything. And so um, I think the best way to answer this question of what does it mean to be conformed to the image of God's son is to look at how the Bible describes the image of God's Son. So when we look at Paul's understanding, how did, who did Paul understand Christ to be? So um, that brings us to our first passage, which is in Romans chapter 5, and it's verses 12 to 21. And this one's going to be a tough one to read because it seems like it says the same thing over and over again a lot, but um, we're going to struggle through this. So uh, Romans 5, verse 12 to 21, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world, though, before the law was given, but sin was not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, does that make sense to anyone? Like, <laughs> sin wasn't defined as sin in the beginning of Genesis because there was no law, right? But Adam and Eve still sinned because they did the one thing God had told them not to do, right? So that's what he's saying. Um, so nevertheless... Sin still existed, even though there was no law. Um, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. So Adam sinned without breaking a command. Um, uh, even, though, even over those who did not sin uh, by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many people died, or the many died by the trespass of that one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man? So a lot of people sinned, one man fixed it. One man sinned, a lot of people followed in that. So it's like Adam screwed it up for everybody, but Christ came and took that everybody and fixed it. Um, 
So here we go. Um, For if many died by the trespasses of that one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, uh, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, for everyone, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though, <coughs> sorry, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. The law was also brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, who is Paul comparing Jesus to in this passage? Adam, right? So, Paul is looking at Jesus as, and you see this in other places in Scripture, as kind of the next Adam. When Adam was created, he was perfect. There wasn't anything wrong with Adam, right? But Adam messed up. Jesus comes along, he's perfect. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. But he doesn't mess up. He stays obedient through his entire life. And so if you look way back, so this is a long way around the conform to God's image thing. Um, If you look way back in the first three pages of the Bible, we're introduced to this guy named Adam, right? Adam, it, it, how does God describe Adam? Adam, in, verse, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over, and over all creation, the, all the creatures that move along the ground. I had a lot of caffeine this morning, so I'm reading faster than I can talk. Um, <laughs> over all the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Is there a word that pops up here that's familiar to our opening passage? Image, right? So, so Paul is looking at Jesus and he's comparing Jesus to Adam who was created in the image of God, right? And so I think that's why Paul, and like I said, this is a long way around that word. I think that's why Paul uses conform to the image of his son. Um, Adam, which is the, actually the Hebrew word for humanity. Did anybody know that? I learned that through the Bible Project podcast. Um, Adam, which is the Hebrew word for humanity, was created in God's image. And that word image in the Hebrew, here we go. I'm going to get real nerdy on you guys this morning. In Hebrew, that word image is actually the word selim, T-S-E-L-E-M. Um, and it actually has its root word. In the, it gets its root word, or the root word of that is sel, T-S-E-L, which is the Hebrew word for shadow. So um, when we see that, when it says we're made in God's image, it means we are God's shadow, right? When you look at my shadow, that's me, right? But it's not me. But if I move, the shadow moves, right? So it's an image of 
me. If I go this way, the shadow goes that way. But that shadow can't think like I do because there's no brain in that shadow. So it's not a perfect image of me, but it's an image of me, right? And so that's the thought behind we are created in God's image. We are created kind of like God's shadow. We are to look just like God, but we can't quite think like God because he's way up here, we're way down here, right? We don't have the, the capability to do that. Um, and so that word, the word selim, the full version of that word, actually comes up in the Old Testament when they're talking about idols, right? And when it says not to make any idols in God's image. Why doesn't God want us to do that? Because he already did it. He made us. He made an idol. He made a statue, a representation of himself when he made us. We don't need another one because when I look at Kendrick, I should look at representation of God, right? Does anybody look at Kendrick as a representation? What's well, sorry, Kendrick. Uh, me. If you look at me, you should see a representation of God. When you, when you look at me, you should be like, that guy, if that's what God looks like, I'm not 100% sure I'm sold on this, right? But so we are made, so when he says we should be conformed to the image of God's Son, He's just kind of pointing back like, hey, we were already made in God's image. And Adam screwed it up, which messed it up for the rest of us, right? Adam was pressed in this mold. You want to think about Plato, and he looked like God. He wasn't God because God is God, but he made a thing that looks like God. And then Adam screwed up. It's like he started adding Plato, like, oh, this will look cool. Hey, God, what if I put a tail on here? What if I make his hand a little bigger or something? Like, how's that look, God? And God's like, no, I want you to look like this, right? And Adam messed it up. And so Jesus comes along, and he's this new image of God. He's this new representation of what God looks like. So, like I said, long way around the image part. So, since God created and rules over everything, though, he wanted us to be like he wanted to share he wanted us to share in that and look what it says in verses 28 to 31 Dave will put that up there it says God blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground then God said I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it they will be yours for food and all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I will give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God who created everything wants us to get to share in that. He wants us to create and rule over creation the way he created and rules over creation. That was why his one instruction was, be fruitful and increase in number, right? God created people. He wants us to get to share in the joy, in the magnificence of what it is to create something else. So he gave us the ability to reproduce, right? And so we have children and we see what our children do. And we're like, oh, I'm so proud of that kid. Look what he's doing. Now, in some people's case, they're like, look at my kid. Would somebody like to take him? Like, he's clearly um, not mine, right? Um, or she's clearly not mine, right? Um, and so, like, I'm pretty sure my mom and my dad probably thought that at times, like, who that kid? Um, but God wants us to share in that. And then he, he gave us the job of 
filling the earth and subduing and ruling over the earth. Now, he doesn't mean rule over the earth, right? A good king does not rule that way. He wants us to take the earth and fill it and, and spread and work it, make it do what it doesn't naturally want to do, right? That's what God intended when he said to uh, fill the earth and subdue it. He wanted us to take it and, and share in that creation. God created the beauty of the, the, the entire world, and he wants us to share in what it's like to take something that's not doing what it's supposed to and make it do what we, what we want to to continue in that beauty, right? And so God wants us to share in that. So again, like I said, this is a long way around the discussion of the image language, right? Adam was the original image. Sin messed everything up. And so Jesus came as the new and perfect image, and that is what we should be conformed to, right? All right, that's the end of the service today. Now, uh, back, to, so back to our original question. What does it mean to be conformed to that image? How can I become more like Christ? How, what do I need to do to look more like Christ? How many of us have asked that question or told people that? You just need to be Christ-like. You need to be more Christ-like. What do we think of when we think of that phrase, Christ-like? What do you guys think of? I think most of us think the same thing. Anyone? What? Be good, yeah. Anyone else? Is that it? Be good? Compassionate? Yeah. Somebody said something over here. Son of God, yeah. Um, does it, no one thinks we should grow a beard and, and 70s perfectly quaffed feathered hair, shoulder length, um, and wear a robe? No one, no one thinks that? Um, I mean, that's what I think. Um, no, I, yeah, I think a lot of times we, we tend to narrow it down to a few things, right? Being good, being moral, right? So that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. So when I think of Jesus, yes, there are a few things that I think of when I think about what it means or when I tell someone or when I say to be Christ-like, there are a few things that I think of. One of those things is, like Melissa said, to be good or to be morally upright, to lead the kind of moral life Jesus led. Think like the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you're going to have to bear with me. This is a long passage. We're going to read this. What did Jesus mean by being morally good? This is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. It says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Pretty easy, right? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which I don't know what that means. Um, I didn't get that far in the Bible project. But um, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Um, I kind of, for my own self, I lump sarcasm in there for me because I'm a very sarcastic person so to help myself be not so sarcastic to people like remember what the Bible says about calling people a fool um, therefore if you are offering your gift as, uh, at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift at the altar there in front, or leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and, judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose the one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. So, so far we've got adultery, murder, divorce, um, keeping your promises, um, but fulfill fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You have heard it said, uh, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father's perfect. Get long passage to say, Jesus was a moral person, right? He takes the Ten Commandments, like don't murder, don't commit adultery, keep your own. He, he takes all those things and he's like, Let's, let me tell you what that really meant. It's not the action that's the bad part. The action is the overflow of what's going on here. If you're looking at someone, guys, if you're looking at websites you shouldn't be looking at, or I don't know what women look at lustfully, to be honest. Um, Women, if you're looking at Pinterest with an inappropriate eye, um, right? you've you've committed that act of adultery in your heart. If I'm angry at someone, right, I've committed the act of murder. And I don't think, like, I don't think he means just to be, like, if someone were to come into my house and start, abusing my wife and kids, I'm going to be angry at that person. But if someone cuts me off in traffic and I'm like, man, I hope you're in a wreck at the next exit, that's probably the anger he talks about, he's talking about, right? Um, there is a righteous anger, right? So, but I think that our problem is when we talk about being conformed to the image of his son or being Christ-like is we stop at being moral, right? As if Jesus came from heaven to earth died on the cross, rose from the grave so that we could be morally upright people. That can't be all that he did that for. You can be a moral, upright person without ever acknowledging the God of the universe. So there has to be more to it. That that has to be just the beginning. And if we're struggling with that, it's like we've put our foot in that Play-Doh mold. Like, that's cool. Just... Fix my foot there, God, and I'm going to keep adding the stuff over here, right? And we're trying to be 
Christ-like like that. And yes, we should be, but that, that can't be it. That can't be all that Jesus came for. And that's not the only thing Christ did when he was on earth. Christ did more than walk around. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus if all he did was walk around and be good to people and nice and moral. He didn't start fights. He always said yes or no. He got married and didn't get divorced. We wouldn't be talking about Jesus. There were millions of people that had come before and have come since that did all those things that weren't Jesus. So there's something else to Jesus that we have to do or that we have to seek for or strive for to be more con to be conformed to the image of his son. So I think of another way that I think of Jesus is as a servant, right? We see at the Last Supper, what's the first thing he does? He takes his robe off and sits down and kneels at the feet of all his disciples and washes their feet, right? He was a servant. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He came to serve people. At, at weddings, he made sure there was good wine, right? And so I think when we, when we think about being like Jesus and we just limit it to being moral, we miss out on this part, right? And I think when Jesus was talking about being moral, he's like, that shouldn't, that shouldn't even be a consideration. It should just happen naturally like you breathe. Because you've given me your life, you're, you're just moral. You should just be moral. But then we've got to go another step. And that's what, that's what when we think about Jesus, uh, when we look at Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, we see what he says. He is the king of all creation. He could have come to be served. But what did Jesus do when he came? It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He could have done that. He could have come down here and used the fact that he was God and used it to his advantage to do whatever he wanted when he was on earth, right? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a, as a man. See, I, I find it interesting there. It says um, being made in human likeness. He were to be... We were made in the image of God, but when Jesus came, he already was God. So what image did he take on? He took on the image of a human, right? He, he was found, he was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And so when we think about all our heroes in the Old Testament, right, our Moseses, our Abrahams, our, our Samuels, Job, Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, when we think about all of those, they're our heroes. We, we talk about the good things that they did, right, but they were all servants. Jesus was a servant too, but the thing is, is he wasn't just a servant. They suffered. Think about King David. His own dad didn't even acknowledge him when Samuel came to find the next king. He marched in all the other brothers. And then Samuel's like, is this it? And his dad's like, oh, yeah. I do have another kid, but he's out watching the sheep, right? <laughs> That's the, the exalted King David that we talk about from the Old Testament. His dad's like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that one kid, uh, he's the runt of the litter, right? We think about Moses and what he had to go through going through the wilderness for 40 years to take a make a hike that was a couple of weeks tops, right? Um, talk about suffering. We think about Job, 
who the Bible says was a righteous man. The Bible doesn't say that about a lot of the people we talk about when we talk about the Bible, but the Bible says specifically about Job that he was a righteous man, he was an upright man, and he had everything taken from him, right? And in the end, God exalted him, right? Because he stayed faithful to God, right? And so we see all these people, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Isaiah, um, who was crucified for being a prophet, Elijah, Elisha, all these people, we hold them up as heroes, but they were servants who suffered, and when we look at Jesus, we can certainly, we certainly can't look at his life and say he didn't suffer, right? And when we just look at the last few chapters of all the Gospels, we see exactly how he suffered, starting from going to the Garden of Gethsemane and praying, God, please let this be some other way. This cup can pass for me. Please do it. I do not want to do this because he was a human. He <laughs> I can't imagine going through the physical pain, but God had to turn his back on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was perfect, and then he took my sin and placed it on his body. And so we talk about the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's a perfect union of those three. There's never sin anywhere involved in that Trinity, and all of a sudden sin is thrown into that mix when Jesus takes that on. God has to, God the Father has to turn his back on Jesus because that sin can't be part of that mix. And so Jesus had to be separated from God in a way he had never experienced. And I imagine that's the part he probably didn't want when he said, let this cup pass from me, right? And so he was this suffering servant. Now, I'm not saying we should all go out and, and do whatever we can to suffer, but the life we lead when we're following Christ, we should not be afraid to make a stand and to speak God's truth, whether it means suffering or not. We cannot be afraid to hide in the shadows because if I say something that's God's truth from God's word, it might mean ridicule, it might mean suffering, it might mean persecution at a certain point. I cannot be afraid of that or I won't be conformed to the image of God's son because his son did that. He stood up. And he spoke the truth in every single situation. He made sure God the Father was the one that received all the praise and all the glory. He never spoke anything but truth. And because of that, he made people mad. And those people eventually took him to the cross. And they crucified him because of the things that he was trying to teach. He was trying to show them the way they should be living. And they hated it because it wasn't the way they recognized he should be. Right? And so we have, to, we have to, I guess, if you want to say be courageous, but we have to not be afraid to suffer because of Christ's name, because we're taking on that image of Christ. Because when we look Paul in the New Testament, all of the apostles were persecuted except for John. He was the only one that died of old age. All the others were persecuted and put to death because they wanted to be as much like Jesus as they could when they stood out and they went out to take God's word to the nations. They, they were servants and that service led to suffering. And so God, I think, is looking for this person who is a morally upright person and he's a person, he's a suffering servant. He's someone who does not want the glory for himself. That's what it said in, in Philippians 2. It said... Um, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
right? We've been given God's grace and God's mercy, and we cannot use that to our advantage. We cannot look down on those um, that God has, that have not given their lives to God yet because they sin. We were all sinners at a certain point, so we cannot look down on those who are still in sin. Jesus didn't do that. <laughs> he made himself a sinner, right? He took it a step farther than what we can do. <clears throat> he made himself a sinner. So when we think about that image of Jesus, we think about someone who's morally upright, yes, but we think about a servant who suffers. And then that leads to the, my last thought. And there's more things we can think about, but these are kind of the three that jump out to me. And I'm, I, was not, I did not go to seminary, so I don't know the art of preaching a three-point sermon. That's just the three that jumped out to me as I was thinking about this. But um, we see it at the end of, the, of our original passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. Um, at the very end, um, in verse 30, it says, And those he predestined, so those that he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. And so when we think about Jesus, that's what we think about. At the end of Philippians chapter 2, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. So we have to, <laughs> this is where we get kind of a contradiction almost. How can I strive to be glorified and strive to be a suffering servant and someone who's moral? Don't those two contradict, right? They don't go together, right? But Jesus was glorified. So what does that even, what does glory mean? Anyone here know what glory means? Bueller, Bueller. We say that word a lot in church. We sing it in a lot of songs, right? But has anybody ever stopped to think about what the word glory means? Any guesses? I mean, we could spend the eternity of church talking about glory and God's glory. Well, good, because I didn't really, I mean, I say it all the time, but it's always just one of those words I use in church. But I don't use it anywhere else, and I don't really think about what it means. I think it's good, right? Or there wouldn't be so many songs about singing the glory, singing of God's glory, right? So what is glory? Um, I'm going to give you a brief and admittedly inadequate overview of glory. But the word glory is all over Scripture, right? We don't have enough time to read all the Psalms that talk about God's glory. But the actual word for glory, the Hebrew word, here we go. this is another Bible project uh, thing for you. The actual Hebrew word for glory is kabod, K-A-B-O-D, K-A-B-O-D. And it's actually the root word of that is the word they use for liver. So we should all strive for God's liver, right? Um, <laughs> the reason why they use that is because they consider the liver the heaviest organ in the body. And so when they talk about God's glory, they're talking about it. The, the word kabod literally means weight or heavy. So we're talking about God's heaviness and his weightiness. Does that help? Probably not, no. <laughs> Right, uh, a good way to think about it is think all the way back. Some of us, we have to think longer than others. But think way back to what your room looked like when you were in high school. Everybody got a good picture of that? You probably had maybe posters on the wall of movies or bands that you liked, right? Or, or athletes or teams or whatever you, you had, or pictures, um, right? You had these things that you liked. You had a... 
Some of us had a stack of CDs in the corner. Some of us had a stack of LPs. Uh, a handful of us might have had eight tracks, cassettes, right? Of all the music we like to, when someone came into your room, they knew you, right? They looked around like, oh, Jason likes a lot of really bad Christian bands because he's got their posters and, and do-rags. Um, I, I couldn't, I had a wall and a ceiling covered with horrible Christian bands, posters, and do-rags because I was poor and I couldn't afford the shirts, so I got the poster or the do-rag. Does anybody know what a do-rag is? Elliot, do you know what it is? You're my barometer back there. It's like the headband thing, right? I don't know how that became a thing in the 90s, um, but <laughs> all the, I mean, Petra's, White Hearts, Al Denson, for those that grew up at Second Baptist, a lot of Al Denson concerts. Um, but they all had do-rags, and those were bad bands. DC Talk, they were the, one of the good ones, but they were still bad when they first started, right? Um, they had do-rags and posters, so I had that stuff all over my walls, and then I had my CDs. Um, the only country album I ever owned, I did not purchase, but my mom bought it for me. It was my first tape I ever had. Dolly Parton, Three Doors Down, everybody. I could still sing every word to that album because that was the only one I had for a long time. Uh, and I would go in the basement and play darts and listen to Dolly Parton, Three <laughs> Doors Down. Oh man, that was some good stuff, you guys. Um, but think about that. So when someone, that, that room would be your glory, right? When someone was like, what is Jason like? And they go into your room like, well, he likes Dolly Parton and Al Denson and Kim Boyce. I don't know if anybody, Brian Duncan, um, right? Um, and Petra, the John Bon Jovi of Christian music. And I say that with disdain because I hate John Bon Jovi. But um, he likes a lot of bad music that Jason Goins does. Um, and he listens to Dolly Parton a lot, right? Um, <laughs> and so, but when they came in my room, they knew certain things about me. That was the weightiness or the heaviness of who I am. I couldn't express myself more without me being there. You go into my room, that's who Jason is. He likes to trace pictures out of, again, bad comic books and hang them on the wall and, and tell everybody that he drew that picture. Um, right, <laughs> that's what I did. Um, so in simple terms, God's glory is his presence, right? When we think about his glory, we think about who God is. And when you see throughout scripture, it says the heavens declare his glory, right? So they talk about who God is. But then we also have in glory, we have the Shekinah glory, right? What's the Shekinah glory? Anyone? That's the like, light that radiates out from God, like this weird glow-in-the-dark thing. Like when Moses went up on the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments and the law, he came down and everybody's like, ah, 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 your face is glowing, right? And he had to walk around with the veil over his face because his face glowed because he was in God's presence. He was in the vicinity of God's glory, right? The 
tabernacle had to have a curtain and everything had to be closed in and covered because that's where God's glory rested on the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a bright and brilliant light. And when the high priest went in there, he had to go in backwards because he could not look directly into the glory of God, right? And so we have the Shekinah glory, which is God's glow in the darkness. But then we also see places where it talks about God's glory as his strength or his power or his honor and reputation, right? So when we think about God's glory, we really just think about who the weightiness of who God is. When you think about God as is pure light that should almost crush you under the weight of what that is. He's, he is all-powerful. That should almost crush you under the weight of what that means. He is mercy. He, is, he has honor above all. That should almost crush us because it, it, it's so... Uh, what's the word I'm saying? Too, it's so too much for us to even consider, <laughs> consider what, what that means, right? And so that's what, when the Hebrews would talk about, that's what they were talking about. It's, it's so much we can't consider. It's just too heavy to think about, right? And so it's all of these things. It's God's glory is all of these things. It's his presence. It's his light. It's his beauty, his power, his honor. It's all of these things. What's important to know is that it is God's and God's alone. All glory belongs to God and God alone and none other. And so we look at Psalm 8 and we get a picture of God's glory and kind of what God does with it. I'm going to read Psalm 8. It says, Lord, our Lord. Any Sandy Patty fans? We sing a lot of Sandy Patty songs at our house because old Betty Goings over here had the songbook. And she could play the piano and she would, oh Lord, oh Lord, I'm majestic. Anybody? Anyone else know that song? Yeah, we sang it a lot. Um, and we listened to the Sandy Patty and Larnell Harris uh, album a lot too. Um, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I can't read that psalm without singing that part, right? All glory and all honor belong to God alone. But what does he do? It tells us right here when I... Uh, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. God wants to share that glory that belongs to him and him alone. He wants to share that with us. He wants to lift us up. He wants to glorify us. He wants us to be filled with his presence, right? And if you, what's curious, too, if you look at the end of that passage, it's an echo of one we looked at earlier, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground, right? That's the end of chapter of Psalm 8. 
And so we see, <laughs> man, I, can't, I can't tell you guys enough how important the first three pages of the Bible are. The more I read God's word, the more I see echoes of that throughout the entire thing. When you look at the tabernacle and the temple, they were all designed to look like the Garden of Eden. You see how they decorated them and the colors they used and how they made things look like fruits and trees and stuff. But here we see he's echoing, God, you, you put, you made, who, who is man that you even think about us? You made the universe and yet you know my name. Who, who am I? And then you give me glory and honor by letting me rule over the things that you made? Right? How many of us parents are like, all right, Elliot, I want you to take, you don't all have kids named Elliot. Elliot, I want you to take care of everything in the house. I'm just going to sit here and make sure everything, everything's okay. I'm just going to leave it in your hands. The house payment, the utilities, you're going to clean it. You're going to make sure everything's running right. Not one person in here would do that with their kids. (laughs) Leave sole authority of their household to their children. Right? Probably not going to happen, yet that's what, exactly what God does with us. He gives us the glory and honor of allowing us to rule over his creation, right? So here's the problem, though. The problem is that God wants to bestow on us this glory and honor. And if we look at Romans chapter 1, and we're getting close to being done. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 25, it says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So we look around God's creation, and we can see exactly who God is because of what he made. Being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without excuse. We are without excuse for not knowing who God is. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. For what? For images made to look like a mortal human being. Right? That's us. Right there. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings. And here... Keep in mind Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. They exchanged the image, or the glory of the immortal God for images that are made to look like man, who God created in Genesis 1, birds, animals, and reptiles. The things that we're supposed to be sharing in God's glory and ruling over, we have exchanged God's glory and worshiped those things. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the created things they were supposed to rule over rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So the reason we fall short of God's glory that he wants to bestow on us, according to Romans 8, is that we want glory on our terms and in our way. We see a shiny car, we see a cool lake house or a boat or pictures on Instagram and face space and all those things, and that's what we want. 
We want those things, and we begin to worship those things rather than the God that created those things. And that is not the glory God wants to give us. It is too cheap. That glory is too cheap because in the end, some guy's going to see that picture or some lady's going to see that picture and say, oh, that's cool. I wish my family looked like that. And they're going to go on to the next picture or they're going to make another car. There's going to be a new iPhone that comes out or there's going to be a bigger house on the street or someone's going to have better Wi-Fi, right? And it just goes on to the next thing. But the glory that God wants to give us is eternal because it is God's glory and he's eternal and he is over everything. So what does it mean to be conformed to God's image. Man, we should be seeking God's glory. That morality that we talked about that Jesus, that when we think about Jesus, we think about that, that should be second nature. That we should just dive right into serving others. And through that service, God gives us the glory that is his and his alone. The reason we don't look like Jesus, that is the reason we don't look like Jesus, because we want our glory in our way. But that is the reason Jesus came, to show us how to live a life that God will glorify. God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son so that he can glorify us. And that is an amazing thought that the God of the universe wants to bestow glory and honor on my life. He's the God, we watched the movie, he's the God of a trillion stars and he knows my name. Man, that's an amazing thought. So I'm going to ask Bridget and Nick, whoever it is, I told you guys this is going to be a long one, it's 11.45 come up we're going to close an invitation I'm, I'm not coming up having you guys come up to be an example for we're done but if you don't know Jesus this morning you don't know what that means to be conformed to his image I can just tell you that he wants you to know him more than anything you can imagine he left heaven and made himself like you like me so that we could see what a godly life is because he loved us and he wanted to bridge that gap between God and us and he had to take that sin on that we committed so that we could have that. He's a king of creation, and he knows your name. And he wants you to call out to him this morning. He wants to lift you up to his father. He loves you more than you can ever know. All right, well, let's pray. They're going to close us in invitation. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, help us to, from this moment on, to think about, God, man, is what I'm doing, am I allowing myself to be conformed to the image of you, to the image of your son? What did Jesus look like? What did Jesus do, God? How can I be more like that? Help me to move past just this morality and actually get into the weightiness and the heaviness of who you are. God, and just bask in that. We thank you for your son, God. We thank you that you sent him to be like us, God, but then to suffer on our behalf. But not only that, God, to be raised from the dead so that we could have that eternity with you in heaven. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We just ask all these things. I'll be down here at the front. If anyone needs to pray, anyone has any questions about what that means, I'm sure here to talk to you.